Sin acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land, the House of Sin and Studios Stand, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. Good morning, everyone. This is The Coach Cold on Sin with Bex and Maria. Back for another episode with you this Tuesday morning in Melbourne. Hello, Maria. Hello, Rebecca. Good morning. We've got a really exciting day ahead. This is our folklore episode. Um, we'll be talking all things folk, music, dance, costumes, culture, um, and we've got an exciting lineup of guests to speak with today. Yeah, we're talking about the often the traditions we have now that we've carried through from our culture stem back hundreds, if not thousands of years. So we're really digging deep into that this morning. We're going to hear from two students, Rochelle and Giselle, who have studied the Arabic language from prep all the way through to VCE and now even beyond um, the VCE. And also we catch up with your, Dion, your part of town. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dion Manassas is the director of the Manassas uh, School of Greek Dance and Culture. They're known for their um, very... Their performances are a spectacle. They've got bigger costumes than you'd normally expect and they've got a range of cultural programs um, to promote and continue um, education of culture and yeah, historical stuff. Carrying really on those cool. traditions. We've also got a new segment. I always love a new segment. Maria's really good at coming up with these. It's called What the Folk. If you've seen our recent Facebook post, it's not too late, it's still up. Um, there is a folk song for about 10 seconds. And in What the Folk, we're going to be playing a couple snippets of traditional folk music. And the aim is to guess what country of origin or area of origin the song is from. As usual, you can keep up with us at culturecult underscore sin on Instagram if you want to see what we get up to when the songs are playing, lots of action there. And you can also uh, send us a message on Facebook at Culture Cult Radio or just search Culture Cult on Sin, that's S-Y-N, wherever you're listening from. We love checking out um, where everyone's listening from around Australia, around Melbourne and even around the world. So our first song that we're going to jump into today was Maria's Pick. It is by As Is. I can't even say the title. I can't say it either. My guess is Siganche. Siganche. C-I-G-A-N-C-H-E. New track from Aziz. You're listening to The Culture Cult on Sin. That was Siganche by Aziz. A very beautiful love song. Uh, Aziz is from Bulgaria and he's a huge star in Balkan world. Um, he's a controversial Chalga performer, which not everyone is into in Bulgaria. Yeah, what is that subculture? It's from friends we made in Bulgaria. They're saying they associate it with like the stereotypical, like the man with the pot belly and the chains and Big flaunting the wealth. <laughs> and because the music's quite sensual and it's always about love and money. Um, but this song especially, uh, it's about a forbidden love between um, a gypsy and a non-gypsy. Mm. Um, and Aziz himself is of, uh, I think he's of Roma ethnicity. He's a gypsy from Bulgaria. And he includes stuff about his life in his songs. He's also queer and he's a very, I think he's been around for like two decades, maybe more. And he's been consistently like... I don't know, uh, breaking stereo, not really mm. breaking stereotypes, but pushing say, the boundaries. Pushing the boundaries, yes, of Bulgarian pop culture. Beautiful artist, and this song is very new. Um, it's Siganche, and it's spelt C I G A N C H E if you want to look it up. 
we bring the whole world to you here on The Culture Cult on SIN. And we're going to hear from Rochelle and Giselle, two students of the Alkmaal Arabic School in Melbourne Southeast. They sat down with me on Saturday. It was actually really fun. So my parents volunteer uh, at the Arabic School every weekend, helping out with admin and stuff like that. So I went back to school with them. And it was really interesting to hear their perspective on what the language school is like now. It's been built up and established over many years. So it was pretty fun. We like snuck out to the library, pulled them out of class. We were like eating snacks in between. Um, so it was really nice to speak to them and really good to tap into why the young people are choosing to learn a language to continue their traditions and their culture through language and things like dance, all the rest of it. So we'll hear from them now. This is Rochelle and Giselle from the Alkamal Arabic School. This is the Coach Cult on Sin. So at the moment, I'm at the Alkamal Arabic School in Endeavour Hills. It's in Melbourne's southeastern suburbs and has been functioning as an Arabic language school for students since 1982, I believe. At the moment, I've pulled two lovely students outside of class. They're tucked away in the library and we've snuck some manaish pastries from the canteen for our interview today. So I'll get the girls to introduce themselves. This is Giselle. My name is Giselle. Anna is me Giselle. My name is Rochelle. Al-Kamal Arabic School in Endeavour Hills and we're excited to speak to you today. And so we've decided to speak to you guys about our cultural experiences um, and why we keep on coming back to the Arabic school and our memories and that occur here. Rochelle and Giselle, I understand that you've been students here and learned the language for a long time. Rochelle, you've since graduated from the school as well and finished the VCA level, although you're in VCA still yourself. What are your earliest memories of the dancing here? Because you didn't just learn the language. Yes, yeah, so coming here at Arabic school is more of like a cultural thing than a language thing. Like each teacher has their different stories, different environments, as like every teacher comes from a different place in the Middle East. And so you learn different cultures from like um, Palestine to Syrian, any culture really. And... The main thing here is like the dancing, you learn folklore, uh, which just helps you enjoy Arabic school a bit more because it can be very hard at sometimes because Arabic is a hard language to learn and very, you know, dense, a lot of, it's very different to English and it's one of the hardest languages in the world. Uh, So having that enjoyment of like folklore helps to distract the learner and focus more about the culture than the actual. And Giselle, what's your earliest memory of Arabic school for you? Because I understand you've been here since prep and now you're in year 11. My earliest memory is probably the end of year concerts that we do. We've always done um, just a range of plays and dances. Each year level sort of gets to construct their own performance, um, which is really good. I remember also like being dressed up in these really daggy old ancient costumes. Nobody used to like them, but it's really good now to be able to look back and have a laugh and kind of reminisce on that experience. Outside of the classroom, where have you, where have you got the opportunity to perform some of your dances? Uh, so we've been invited by some really nice generous communities to perform at like Mother's Day events, galas, which is really nice, and it just helps 
keep the culture going as they know that Arabic school has run for such a long time and that every year there's different performances that we can do for them. Yeah, it's it's just really nice to like share the culture with everyone else. And it's even more exciting like at the end of each term they have like assemblies so they invite the public to see and so like you bring your English friends and they can like see the different culture and how we dance and they like find it really fascinating the steps that we do and how hard it is because it's much harder than it looks obviously. Definitely much harder than it looks. I mean it looks hard. It doesn't look easy. Yeah, a lot of jumping. Yeah, lots of jumping. It's, it's a good exercise. <laughs> jumping for four minutes straight. Yeah. Giselle, do you have a memorable performance? Um, I remember this really interesting one we did uh, maybe a couple years ago at a high school and it was like not just an Arabic event. It was we did like a dancing concert and there were dancers from like Indian backgrounds and Southeast Asian backgrounds that one was probably the most memorable for me just because it was like a blend of all these different cultures so it was really really nice to witness that and be a part of that celebration. My co-host Maria has reached out to her Greek community and so learning the traditional folklore dances of her culture was really important growing up as well. Do you know about any of the differences across those different dance styles? Like I know the Palestinians, um, the way like, because every, every like country, Arab country has like their different way of doing it. Like with the Syrians, they have, it's like, but it's only like a slight difference with the steps. And just like, for example, the Turkish, the Turkish dance is very similar to ours, but they're just like, I think going around in circles. I'm not too sure, but um. It's really nice. Like, I've tried it before. It's actually very, very, very fun. And I'm, like, I'm a big fan of, like, the Turks. <laughs> I love the culture. Um, Rochelle, we have we share a few favourite um, Turkish cities. <laughs> That's another episode to talk about, I think. So, yeah, you mentioned that memorable performance of when it was different communities, Southeast Asian, Indian cultures getting together. Are you observing the differences in their style and are you having a go at them as well? I haven't attempted any as of yet, but it's really interesting just because there's a lot of similarities and also a lot of differences, um, especially between between the styles of the music. And like Rochelle said, the steps are basically the only kind of different thing about them. But even with that, there's still some similarities. So it's interesting to observe, but I haven't yet had a go at them yet. The but I'm, well. Yeah, the music. music is a big thing, yeah. Um, like some of the music is more upbeat, so it's more. That's why the steps change a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just if you come back to the basics, the music is kind of the same for all cultures. But just it's it's with every culture adding its own thing, doing something different to it. Like with us, the durbaki is a big thing. Like just if you just compare the basic beat to how the the beat is with every other culture, it's different. Um, Do you have a favorite dubki track? Maybe. I know there's like some really old ones I get yeah, played a lot. Like the Fables ones are good. Yeah. Um, like old, old school, I think is the best Dafki. Um, like with old, old school, like Karakala, he's the one that would do the Dapket for Fedus. And I think if you go back to that old school, that's like what Dapki really is. Um, with the, the costumes of the girls are amazing. Like long colors um the guys like the guys and girls would both dance you would have a girl section a guy section it was all jumping up high legs up high all in a straight line and you you would not see any mistakes like it was insane um but you could tell they really loved their job and that helps like watching videos like that helps us the girls um 
come together more as a group because like it's their big group like they're nice they they the groups and you just see how well they work together so that's quite inspiring for the girls when we go back to traditional and older roots, I understand that part of your introduction into Dubki came from your parents. Your respective parents um, were involved in Dubki before you were even born. Yeah, so that that that's the big thing that played that that was like really helpful with my side of the family is that my parents, when they were younger, when they were still in Lebanon. They actually were in a Dapki group, which the guy that actually taught them now has a Dapki group in the US, which is quite cool. And it's actually still going, which is amazing. And his wife still makes the costumes, which is even better. But yeah, they, so they that's how they met and they got married and they travelled to Korea and represented Lebanon. You literally owe your life to Dapki. Yeah. <laughs> Practically, yeah. They, they honestly, it was amazing. Like, actually, um... You can even see it on YouTube, like I saw. It was an introduction when they were introducing Lebanon and my dad and with the swords. It's it's crazy. It's so cool. I have to say that. Yeah, you will. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> and like, you know, back in those days, like how they dressed was quite differently and it was really nice. My parents said it was such a nice, it was like their best time when they went to Korea. The best time ever. They loved it. And they're still friends with the same group of people. Which and they represented Lebanon on the yeah. world stage. Yeah, so they're on, on the stage. And it was, oh, they said they had a blast. And there were different countries from everywhere around the world. And so they, like, just like in the Olympics, hey, you would have to go around with the Olympic torch. Um, and each country would come in with their flag. It was the same thing, just like that. Um, so each country would come in. And they performed numerous times throughout the uh throughout the whole week yeah um both here and in lebanon it's always been such like a big part of their childhood they've definitely passed it on to me and my siblings my cousins all my family members it's still such a massive part of our life and our connection to our culture so yeah that's how i probably even started learning it before learning it here i learned it from them which is amazing great way to preserve culture and traditions so your parents were obviously partaking in that before you were even born and you guys kind of carried it on. Why in 2019 do you think it's important for young people to learn these traditions, learn these dances? It's, I think it's very important just to pass it on to like the next generation, obviously, um, and to get like to pass on to our kids. Um, most also like the Arab culture, Arabic culture as well, not just the dancing. Um, and also it's because like you, you go to weddings and you go to different events and there's, a, there's always now Arabic music everywhere you go. So you don't want to be the one you know, sitting down, not being able to learn how to do it. And so you want to have fun and enjoy it. And you want to be able to tell your kids these memories so then they can, then, when they can make their own memories and come back to Arabic school and learn Dapki and you can teach them and I agree with Rochelle really important to just preserve the culture because especially today a lot of you see a lot of cultures being lost since no one's really interested in them no one's partaking in the traditions anymore so I really think we have a massive responsibility to keep that alive especially when we're not in the home country it's more important to not only keep it alive here but also present it in a nice light to all the other cultures here as well. I think that's, uh, you touched on a really good point there. Like, it is harder sometimes to connect with our culture where we have been raised in Australia, not in the home homeland. Yeah. And if we don't have many opportunities to go back to the country, visit our roots, it's even harder still to, to bring that tradition here. When you're performing Dubki at a wedding, at a different community event, 
How does that feel when you're in there in costume or maybe you're just um, in your normal party clothes and a dubkey song comes on? I don't know, it just brings you together with like everyone and it's just, it's even, you may not even talk to this person but then you join with them in dubkey and you're just having fun. Um, it's something you share and you t- like go out of their comfort zones, you know, they don't like to dance but then they learn how to do dubkey. It's like, it's, it's fun and it brings people together. Um, and it keeps the culture alive. Yeah, it's just, it's a nice, it's a nice way to celebrate. It celebrates the culture really well and it's something that I believe will continue in the future. It won't go away because it's, it's too exciting, it's too fun. Kia ora, you're listening to The Culture Cult on Sin. in the interview with Rochelle and Giselle who very generously gave their time to me on Saturday, pulled them out of Arabic school class, their Saturday school class, to talk to me about preserving tradition and culture through um, through music, through dance, through learning language and the whole community around it that carries on those traditions. So those songs used in the interview there were Bayad Anak and Elwandi Ghaniel. We've got uh, next the song by Romanian artist Costi, uh, Mare e Lumia. Um, Costi is the first Romanian producer to win a Grammy nomination, but it was actually for producing uh, Summer in Kingston by Shaggy. He shares on his music profiles online that his main objective is to produce music for people worldwide, worldwide bring them happiness through his music, and promote Romania internationally Aww. in the best way he can. That's a lot of the values we share on the show. That's beautiful. To a T. Let's give it a spin. This is the Coach Coat on Sin. This is the Coach Cult on Sin with Maria and Vex. We're talking folklore today. And so we've heard from two students from an Arabic school who learned to preserve culture and tradition through learning language and the dance roots that go along with it. We're also going to hear from one of um, someone in Maria's Greek community who runs a Greek dancing school and their perspective on it as well. And right now we've got a new segment for you called... What the folk? WTF, but a clean version. <laughs> so we're playing a game. Um, I'm going to be playing snippets of folk songs from all around Europe and the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And it's Beck's aim and anyone listening at home or in your car's aim uh, to guess where the song comes from. And my geography skills, as we know, are amazing. I did geography all the way up to year eight in high school. So, yeah, this is going to be interesting. But you never know, maybe the music might inspire the answer. Here we go. Okay, so the first song I'm playing is the one that's on our Facebook. Um, So Uh if you guessed it, this is going to be the answer. Mm. Might need a replay of that. (laughs) 
Now, this one was deceiving for me because the beat changed halfway through, even though it was a sample. Mm -hmm. So I was picking up some, like, almost Balkan Romanian kind of vibes we were hearing in the previous track. But then this beat kicked in that was almost quite Middle Eastern. Mm -hmm. So I'm not quite sure which way to go. Did you want to hear it again? Yes, please. All righty. It's an accordion. Mm. It's an accordion. I love that. And the drums. I'm going to say Egyptian. That's an exciting guess. Um, should I answer it now or towards the I'll just answer it. Yeah, we won't build it up. You had a really good um, guess, though, of it sounds a bit European and Balkan, but there's a bit of an Eastern flavour. And it's a little bit of a trick because I don't know if the country's technically Middle East, but it's touching them. It's Georgian. Georgian? So you would not have guessed that? Incredible folk He said Georgian. Would have guessed that? From Georgia. Mm. Um, Incredible folk dancers. I think they're my favourite. I've seen um, they dance mainly on their toes, men and women, and it's quite militant. Quite uh, routine. Like they they dance with swords, they leap in the air like ballerinas. (gasps) They're insane. Um, Amazing muscles to jump that high. Yeah, and there is a film coming out soon, I think, in arty cinemas called When We Danced about a love story between Georgian folk dancers. (gasps) Beautiful. Very exciting. Our song number two. Here we go. This is what the folk coach called on sin. This is majestic, Maria. It's so different. Kind of like the Nutcracker or something. Yes. Mm. Definitely getting ballet vibes. I can visualise some big leaps in that one as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Russian. Oh, that's a good guess um, because they're very ballet-like. And Discipline, so routine and majestic. So this song uh, is actually one of, it's the folk music it's from, is one of the five uh, recognised folk music traditions of Poland. Wow. Yeah. This one is Mazurka, M-A-Z-U-R-K-A. It's the style of music and dance, danced in pairs. So oh, leaping in pairs. Yeah, I see that partner kind of dance. Who's going to lift you up for those leaps? So song number three uh, is a special one. I've got no idea on that one. Can I have a multiple choice clue? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, Italy, Greece, Bulgaria and Romania. You picked a Romanian song today that we just heard before, so I feel like you're on that vibe. Mm-hmm. Italy, ah, not sure. These are really good, Maria. You really researched well. <laughs> and you really made sure I didn't say these beforehand as well. The big folder in the computer said, like, do not open answers inside. <laughs> so this is all live radio happening in front of you. Did you want to hear the last few seconds? Yes, please. Again? I can give the name of the song as the That's final clue. That's very sexy. That's like calling everyone up to the dance floor. It's a very, it's danced in large groups. Mm. Um, I can describe the dance, danced in large groups, usually um, circle but snake-like <gasps> formation. Okay. It will usually change. See, I was going to go with, tricks. I was going to go with Italy because it sounded like that vibe. But then when you said they're big dancing in the circle, I'm thinking we're going back to folk. <sighs> 
Maria's got a really good poker face, by the way, guys. She doesn't flinch. Tell me the title. That'll be the final clue. The name of the song is Kofto. K-O-F-T-O. And the countries for multiple choice were Italy, Romania, Greece, Bulgaria. Greece. Final answer? Final. Lock it in. Lock it's, it in, Maria. It's not only just Greece. It's like the... The most famous song from the island. My family's oh. from Lefkada. I'm yes. so glad you got it. Lefkada represent. There we go. Isn't it beautiful? I've got a free entry into there now. Yes. Um, I'll go second last song. Yeah. It's Culture Cold on Sin. We're playing What the Folk. I'm Bex with Maria. I'm guessing folk songs from around the world. Guess the country. Clapping. Yes. Okay. Was that the giveaway? All right. So the I can't really do it that well. So the big call to get everyone on the dance floor. That beautiful um, vocal energy that calls everyone to get up. That's definitely got to be Middle Eastern. Um, I already guessed Egypt. So that was. Did you set me up? Is it Lebanon? <laughs> I was going to say Lebanon or Syria. Mm-hmm. Close in proximity. It's Iranian. Persian. Oh, beautiful. A lot of similarities. That's a longer recording, but I had to include the la 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 yeah. <laughs> Just to give it away there. Is there one more? Yes. How am I going? We've been keeping score. Um, I think I got about one out of four. One out of four. One out of four. A quarter. Which is actually really good. There's a lot of variation, but there's also a lot of similarities between folk Mm -hmm. songs and instruments, which makes it tricky to know exactly where. Yeah, the specific region. Okay, It's really fun. A few answers I will accept for this one. Mm. This is What the Folk, Can You Guess the Country of Origin of This Music. Sounds a bit more modern. Oh, look at that acoustic guitar. It sounds a bit more distinct. Mm. What are we thinking? Espanol. Ooh. I feel like they're going to break out into really romantic lyrics. Exciting guess. And Spanish songs have the similar guitar in it, mm. but the answers I would have accepted for this are actually Portugal. Turkey, oh. Greece... Um, countries in Middle between. East. Yeah, yeah it's okay. Tifteteli music. It's pronounced similarly in Turkish, but I can't do it. Um, and it's sort of like you sort of dance it on your own, but you wave your hands a lot, mm. as we were doing in here while it was playing. Yes. <laughs> um, beautiful music, but from around there, from around sort of the eastern end of Europe and Middle East. Beautiful. Well, that was a very fun segment called What the Folk on Culture Cult on Sin. If you want to petition to make it a more regular segment, maybe I'll quiz Maria next time. You can get in touch at culturecult on sin or culturecult underscore syn on Instagram. You can always welcome to slide into our DMs, send us your song requests, see what we get up to in the song breaks. And you can even email us um, if you'd like to be a part of the show in a more direct way. If you're a culturally diverse artist, musician, all the rest of it, you can even send us an old email. Seems a bit old school now. 
culturecultradio at gmail.com. That's culturecultradio at gmail.com. This is the Culture Cult with Maria and Bex. It's the Culture Cult on sin. That's Jumhurayat Albi, my Muhammad Escalanda, a collection of dubkey folk songs featured on Melody Hits number seven. That's actually what the CD is called. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is Bex and Maria on sin. We're joined uh, by a special guest today. Uh, on the line we have Dion Manassas, who's the director of the Manassas School of Greek Dance and Culture. It's an institution in Melbourne and Australia and has been for decades. They're known for their highly choreographed, beautiful performances of traditional folk music and dances from all around Greece. The way their dances flow um, from seamlessly from one to the next, regardless of which region of Greece they're from, mm. without a break, they tell a story. Um, it's truly a testament to the skill of their performers and educational programs. Uh, welcome to the Culture Cult, Dion. Oh, welcome to the Culture Cult. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, so just wanted to start off um, asking uh, about personally, what are your earliest memories of Greek folk music and dance? Yeah, well, goodness. Um, goes back a while. Um, I think my first memories are taking uh, first steps in my father's lessons. Mm-hmm. My father was my dance teacher growing up. Um, I only um, ever danced in our family's dance studio growing up from young, and I think one of the earliest memories is probably um, tagging along at the back of the line while my father instructed some of the, the older students at the time, um, as well as probably participating in a lot of family events and activities, dinner dances and uh, things like that, where all my cousins got to play around and run around in the foyer, but I was uh, on the sometimes floor. willingly, sometimes forced, uh, on the dance floor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the aunties pulling you up um, and making you dance. This is Max here, Dion. Thanks for being on the Coach Cult today. We were speaking to some students from an Arabic school earlier, and although our dances are different, they've got something in common in that. Um, when we're learning dance, uh, it's not just the steps you're learning. There's lots of folkloric traditions, the musical elements, uh, the artistry, which all emphasised in your performances. What are some of the ways you try and promote cultural education at Manassas? Uh, look, we, we base ourselves uh, very heavily on a psychological component. We uh, instruct Greek folk dancers. As you said, every culture has its own you know, system of you know, folk traditions and culture. I think uh, the era that we're in, despite uh, the general influences that, you know, social media and and media in general may play, um, the distractions that exist in the community, I think identifying yourself as part of a, a cultural group, not just a dance group, but an ethnic minority, if you call it that, mm. um, is, is almost a trend these days. I remember growing up, it wasn't as trendy to do Greek dancing or go to Saturday morning Greek school mm-hmm. or so engage in a lot of cultural activities. Yeah, exactly. Whereas now, now it's it's very much the trend, um, and so we don't necessarily play into that trend. But what we do, um, we always appeal beyond the dance steps and beyond just learning a bit of steps. There's always an element of belonging, um, mm-hmm. and there's always an element of connection between what we do in our dance hall. Um, and the fact that what we're doing is just the next step. It's the natural progression in something that our grandparents and their forefathers and our ancestors have done for generations. We're just the next link in the chain. Um, and when kids understand that, it transcends 
the physical aspect of just learning a set of steps. It becomes a part of their identity. It becomes a part of who they are. They have a sense of belonging in not just the Greek dance school, but a, a, a belonging within the wider community, that they are custodians of a, a, a cultural identity that has spanned millennia. That is such a beautiful sentiment, and it really is important for young people especially to feel that sense of identity and community and belonging and how special that it can be carried on through something like our folk dancing. And I think it also comes out when you see a performance because there's always so much feeling um, it always evokes emotion from a crowd. Uh, I have a bit of a, a specific question, though, to your performances. Um, the trademark wears that I remember, and I think many people will remember uh, vividly from a Manassas dance performance, are the unique and sometimes a little bit frightening costumes uh, the dancers <laughs> will wear. Um, normally with a dance group, and actually I think you guys have a large collection, so it's not just the costumes I'm going to be asking about, but they're normally just the regional um, gowns and garments that are worn, I think, for festive wear. Like I know in the island, my family's from Lefkada, the dresses that people wear for dancing are what they'd also wear to a wedding. But there are some costumes um, that your dance students will wear at Manassas. Um, They're beautiful, but they're a little bit intimidating. They're the carnival costumes. Um, Could you you, um, tell us, describe for our listeners what they entail and what their yep. significance is. Not a problem. Every Look, every part of Greece has got its own very specific costume. Uh, these costumes today we regard as costumes, but they're very much like our everyday wear. What we would wear now as leggings or tracksuits or, you know, a hoodie and runners is essentially, when you see people dress up in traditional costumes, is, is essentially what used to be worn as an everyday garment back um you know, up up until about the 1940s and 50s um, in Greece. Uh, Poverty-stricken, subject to many wars, internally and externally. Um, Greece missed the massive industrial revolution that the most of the world was subject to at the time. So Greece, the Mediterranean, the Balkans sort of stayed quite stagnant, and that's why our cultural identity today is a little bit more prominent. It's probably more due to the fact that it hasn't evolved as much as the rest of the world uh, by default. Um, so these costumes that you've seen us dance in and wear are topical costumes um, appropriate to the regions that they come from based on the materials they had, whether it was cotton, whether it was wool, whether it was silk, whether you know whatever fabric they, they would produce in the regions. The carnival costumes that you refer to, although they're common around all different parts of Greece, the one that we wear in particular are, are very prevalent up in northern Greece in the regions of Macedonia, Thrace, mainly northern and northeastern Greece. Um, now, every year um, we celebrate before the Lenten season kicks in, which is the 40 days of traditional fasting, of strict fasting before Easter, um, there is a Lenten period that in Greek we call Apokrius, which literally translates to carnival. It's like a meat fair week where you basically prepare for the fasting period by eating copious amounts of meat, getting up to a lot of jubilant activity, running amok and, and things like that, um, getting it out of the system basically yeah. before we, we, we get all conservative and, and calm it right down for, for preparation for Easter. Um, that, that custom itself has its origins in uh, paganism. So this thing, this, this whole custom... Uh, transcends Christianity to some degree and, and predates Christianity, where um, 
during the pre-Christian era in ancient and classical Greece, if you like, and in many parts of the world, not just Greece, um, you know, they were sun worshippers, they were, you know, earth worshippers and, and all different deities, and they would essentially um, believe that by wearing bells, which, which we wear lots of bells and jump around with and make lots of noise, these bells would ward off the evil spirits from the ground. So fasting is not just a Christian thing. Fasting is, is, is very much a, a humanitarian thing, um, you know, different parts of the year. Because they would fast, they believed that the only things they could eat were things that came from the ground, essentially mm. fruit, vegetables, nuts. And in order for those fruits and vegetables to grow, they had to be nurtured, they had to be watered, they had to look after. And obviously all the evil spirits lived down in the ground, in amongst the dirt, you know, as, you know, um, stereotypical, you know, division between heaven and hell. It's always up and the other one's always down. So um, in order to ward off these evil spirits that would essentially leech off the roots of these trees and prevent them from growing, uh, people believe they had to wear bells to ward off these evil spirits and wring them basically out of the ground. Only when they would come out of the ground, if they saw your face, you would be possessed. So that's where the masquerade element came into it. And by wearing masks, um, not only would they disguise their own identities, but they would also instill fear into the evil spirits themselves and ward them off into the abyss. So that's essentially where our carnival period and our Lenten, you know, pre-Lenten season attire comes from. It's basically warding off the evil spirits and trying to avoid becoming possessed by that evil spirit in order to have uh, a healthy crop, you know, in your in your yard. Um, these costumes were predominantly made from animal skins and carcasses and mm -hmm. furs and anything that they literally had lying around. There was no costume shop. There was no, you know, let's go and buy a latex rubber mask. Um, in those days, it was literally either a piece of fabric, a face covering, a fur with a couple of holes poked in it, you know, so they could see. In those days, people that would wear animal furs that weren't tanned properly um, with salt and cured would actually develop anthrax, you know, the, 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 you know, the bacteria that formed in the powder that was prevalent in, you know, in the community a few years ago, you know, regarding oh. some, some other things that were going on here in the wider community. I'm sure everyone remembers the anthrax scare, but that, that's also actually a naturally occurring bacteria if animal carcasses and skins aren't tanned properly. So it was a common misconception that people that developed this disease from wearing those sorts of masks uh, were actually possessed by evil spirits. Uh, it's, it's a long and elaborate storyline, yeah. uh, but again, it's lasted right through till today. And pre-Christianity, that's thousands, that's over a thousand years. This is the Coach Cult on Sin. We're joined by Dion Manassas. He's from the Manassas Greek, sorry, the Manassas School of Greek Dance and Culture, and he's been talking us through some of those folklore traditions that are translated through dance. Dion, thank you for your, thank you for sharing all this insight. You're a wealth of knowledge um, on the Culture Cult today. Thank you very much for the opportunity to discuss. Um, it's it's a pleasure. It's the first time I've spoken with you guys on air. Um, and I think you guys are doing thick work in the community. Keep it up. Thank and you. for any other information, feel free to hit us up and follow along with all the events and activities that we will be running within the community throughout the coming year. Thank you kindly. Uh, where can our listeners uh, catch up on uh, your upcoming events? Um, our... Uh, our internet, our website, and our Facebook page is probably the quickest and yes. easiest method of communicating with us. 
www.manassasdance.com.au or if you just jump on Google and Google Manassas Dance, it should give you the links to our Facebook page and also our website. And we've got a big calendar online um, with information about where and when you can find us performing around town. Thanks, Dion. We're going to jump to a song now, and that's about us for today, actually. This has been our folklore episode on the culture cult on sin. Thank you to all our guests, Dion Manassas from the Manassas School of Greek Dance, also the Alkamal Arabic School, Rochelle and Giselle representing the language school are there. We thank you for your time. Thank you for Maria as well for our What the Folk segment. That was really fun and I hope we can revive it next week. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody. And thank you, Rebecca, for another beautiful episode of The Culture Cult. Uh, we're here every Tuesday from 9am um, to get us through the day. This is Staka Litera, which is a cover of the Serbian song Avoye Balkan. This title, I'm looking at it right in front of me. I had to point to Maria <laughs> to announce it because it's way too long for me to say and it's in Greek. So thank you for joining us for another episode. We're going to get out of here. Do you want to say the song one more time? Staka Litera, cover song of Avoye Balkan by Konstantinos Kufos.